Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. Well and truly into 2023, end of the third week, uh, Dubai is hopping, it's shopping, the Dubai Shopping Festival is happening and also uh, if you're hop, <laughs> you can be outdoor doing sports. There's loads of activity around the place at the moment. I did a triathlon in Rasa Kaima last week, doing one in Dira tomorrow. It's very active, uh, there's lots of events on and the weather is great. Uh, but this week's guest has nothing to do with any of that, it's about the used car uh, market in the UAE, but particularly a really interesting acquisition story. So we often hear about acquisitions and exits in tech companies uh, and in the region, and uh, this one is really interesting. I think you'll uh, like it if you're interested in the startup space to hear how a brand was created and how it got acquired by a global company. Uh, so enjoy the conversation. Back to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. This, with us today is Marwan Char. He is the co-CEO of Kavak. They are a disruptive automotive brand looking to change how pre-owned cars are bought and sold in the industry. So we'll hear about the startup journey. It's a relatively new brand, new offering in the market, the second-hand car industry in Dubai, and just general chat about the automotive industry uh, and then an outlook into the future economical plans for the brand and then also uh, industry trends as well. So good morning, Marwan. Good morning. Thanks for coming on and happy new year. It's probably a bit late now, <laughs> but I'll still say it. To you too, thanks for having me. And thanks for coming in. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about Kavak. Sure, so Kavak is, it's a global company. Um, so Kavak was started back in, in 2000 and, and roughly 16, um, but the region happened by an acquisition. Um, so I co-founded a company called Karzati and me and my co-founder started it initially in Oman and then we came to Dubai. And uh, Karzati was three years into our startup journey acquired by Kavak and that formed Kavak GCC. And so that was the, the, the start of the business. Uh, now Kavak as a, as a model is a used car retailer. And so we buy and sell used cars, but we hold the inventory. So everything we have is our own. And that really, that big difference changes how we function and, and the value that we give to the customers. And I can go into a lot more details on those. Okay. And what was Karzati? So Karzati was the same exact business model. Uh, so Hassan, my co-founder and myself, uh, you know, we saw uh, an opportunity in the market where primarily, you know, what we were trying to solve for is reliable cars. Right. And, and, and a brand where customers can trust. And, you know, when we looked at it, it was interesting because we said if you wanted to go buy, um, you know, a laptop, you would go into Sharaf DG, you'd go into the Apple store. Uh, but then when you look at cars, which are a much higher value purchase, you know, sometimes the most expensive purchase you make in your life because you buy multiple cars, there were no cross GCC strong brands that could give you that trust, that comfort, and that recourse, in case anything happens to the car over its life, you can go back to them and they have your back. 
So that was what we saw. Can I just uh, pick you up on that one for a second? Because there's obviously family name dealerships yes. that have trusts, but do you mean they're just not regional? Then in each country, uh, there's a different yeah. so dealership. I mean, in, in, in used cars, uh, the biggest one from these families would be Fotem Automall. Uh, but still relatively to the size of the market in the GCC, relative to the size, they're tiny. Um, you know, the market is massive. And we mm. noticed, we looked at Fotem Automa, we said, okay, that's interesting. They built a very strong brand. Um, they're very trustworthy, but they're not massive, right? And you compare that, and what I mean by massive is you compare it to developed markets. You look at the US, the UK, and you know, some of these companies are much, much larger compared to the market size. And that's where we started digging in, right? Um, we looked at Fotem Automall as an example of what could be done, but then said, well, how do we get even bigger than that? And how do we go cross GCC? And how do you bring technology into the play to bring it you know, to the forefront of, of what customers are expecting today? Uh, so we leveraged that and then did something slightly different, but a similar model. Mm. So, it, so you have a mall as well, you have a store, a car we store? We do. So we took an approach which is you know, what they call omni-channel, <clears throat> we're not online only. We don't believe in that model. We believe that customers want to kick the tires and, and see the car. Um, but you can buy the car fully online. I mean, today, a lot of our customers book the car online without seeing it. They start the process and then eventually they come in. Some of them don't even come in. They just get the car delivered to them. It's a relatively small number. Um, but because you know Dubai is relatively a small city distance-wise, customers are glad to come in especially because we have a nice experience. So we're in a shopping mall. You know, it's very digital, um, very good customer service and, and experience that, that our customers enjoy coming in and seeing the cars. Interesting. So, so tell us a little bit more about the sort of uh, Kavak and, and how they found you guys and what that acquisition looked like. Yeah. So it was really interesting. I mean, we started the company um, back at the end of 2018 in Oman. You know, and then we came to Dubai. How come Oman, sorry? It was just happenstance. So I was living there for a previous startup. But um, you, you, you grew up in Dubai, you mentioned. Grew up in Dubai, went to the States for about nine years, mm. then went to Oman for about six, okay. and then came back to Dubai after that, that long time abroad. And you met your co-founder in Oman? In Oman, okay. yeah. <clears throat> and it was interesting because Hassan was a really close friend of mine before he became a co-founder. And I was working on a different startup at the time. It was in the energy space. We are doing solar for the government uh, in Oman. Um, and Hassan came across this opportunity for used cars, and we're like, all right, this is worth, you know, the leap. Uh, so we jumped in, we got the business funded, and then we, we started on that path. Uh, and as we saw things picking up, we decided to raise more funding and come to the UAE because the market is just so much more dynamic. Um, of course, this was end of 2019. We raised the funding, we started investing in Dubai, built a retail store, started building the team, with the expected launch date of March 2020. Everything was ready, and then we shut down before we even launched, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was painful, you know, went into COVID, um, had to let go of a lot of people, had to cut salaries, but then because Dubai was so quick to open back up again, it was honestly the only reason we survived as a company was because of Dubai's policies, right? Because Dubai was so quick and so business friendly, we came out of it, we came out of it stronger than ever. We raised additional, additional funding, and then we started to see sales just skyrocket post-COVID. Um, happenstance, serendipity, stars aligned. At that same point, I got an introduction to the founder of Kavak globally. And it was a very just casual conversation. You know, at the time, Kavak was not as large as it was now, as it is now. Uh, so it was just more of, 
you know, what can I learn from you as another founder of a similar model, somebody who's done this a few years before I have? And that conversation was just casual and it ended. Where and did they start? Which country? So they started in Mexico. Wow. And at that time, when I spoke to the founder, they were only in Mexico, right? And they were relatively small. Um, they were not even a unicorn at the time. So they were still under a billion dollar valuation. And then you fast forward a few months down the line and we're like, all right, the used car market's getting very hot in Dubai, let's go raise more funding. So we went out to the different investors and so on. And at the same time, Kavak CEO and founder reaches back out to us saying, we need to chat, right? It was kind of like a one-liner email. And from that started the entire conversation of, we're looking to enter the region, we're thinking of acquiring a company, and they did all their due diligence and picked us as the ones they wanted to acquire. So they obviously were in the same path as you guys, had raised a bunch of cash, and with their expansion plans, acquire a market entry. They had funds and resources as part of what they raised for it to do that, and it just it matched. You know, often when people are raising money, they get acquired, don't they? Because, uh, not often, but it can happen that if you're doing a round, someone might say, well, why don't we instead of taking the whole round, why don't we just acquire something like that? So, yeah, I mean, it happens. I think, you know, for us, um, you know, a big part of, of, of being acquired in a startup is just having enough sort of perseverance to end up at the right place at the right time, right? You know, it's just surviving till that, you know, happens. Um, and you're exactly what you're saying, right? So Kavak at that point in their own journey, they started raising a huge amount of capital. I mean, put in perspective, in 2022, they raised $1.1 billion in equity cash alone, right? That's a lot of money, especially last year as well. It was... Why, why, like, it's not, um, you know, it's not something that I'm aware of that is such a big opportunity. We hear of health tech, we hear of uh, different types of fintech and things that are raising billions of dollars mm -hmm. and you know, AI or all these things. Yeah, yeah. We don't necessarily think second-hand cars. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so it's interesting, right? And sorry, just to clarify, I meant 2021. Yeah. Was when they raised the 1.1. 1 uh, it's still a new year, so I get a little confused. So 2021 <laughs> was when the market was so hot. Okay. And they, you know, leveraged that and, and raised a lot of equity capital. So I think the part that's interesting with the Kavak business model is it is tech-driven. And that was similar to the Karzati model. There's a huge amount of tech that is built into it that the customer does not necessarily see, right? And to give you a couple of you know simple examples, um, you know a big part of what we do as as a retailer owning the inventory, two of the critical things are pricing, right? So to some degree, cars are a commodity, so you need to know what price to buy at, what price to sell at, and which cars to buy, right? I mean, you could buy cars that just never sell, low demand, or there's too much stock in the market and so on. So a lot of uh, intelligence goes into pricing and inventory management. And then the second big thing is because we own not just the cards, but we also own the recourse. The warranties are on us, mm -hmm. right? So we need to make sure that we're reconditioning the cars to the best quality standards, right? And also there's a balance of, well, how much do you sort of repair and invest in in the car? It's a used car. Um, you know, what do you replace? What don't you replace? And those two things are heavily tech-driven. Right? So to give you some, some simple examples here, you know, Kavak globally on the operations side has something called Cerebrum that brings in, you know, we're talking about tens of thousands of cars in inventory. And each of these cars go through a reconditioning process. 
Um, so we know which car, which parts are most likely to fail as these cars come back to us from the customers during their warranty periods, right? So we can then predict using this machine learning what to repair at what cost to make sure the longevity of the car you know, lasts is, as long as can be. Uh, so there's a lot of intelligence that goes into the operation side. Um, we also use uh, sort of uh, intelligence on logistics. How do you move the cars around? On the pricing side, uh, again, a lot of data. Right? You're gathering all the market knowledge, market intelligence to figure out which car to buy, what price, wh how much margin do you take on the car, and so on. Right. Mm. So there's a lot of technology behind the scenes. A customer won't necessarily see that. What a customer sees is, okay, nice customer experience, and you know a car that's at a fair price but in the background there's a huge amount of technology yeah and i think that's one of the things about second hand cars not only is there a trust thing but you almost feel like you're going to get a dud every now and again you know even if they're even if the regulation is excellent even if everything's service you know there's probably some things that are unknown with parts and things like that and mm -hmm. brands and mm -hmm. things like that but from that point of view i get it and when you talk about data i get why you need to not only have tech and developers that you want to hire data scientists and stuff like that but you know fundamentally the car is something with a price and then also uh there's a real estate element to this in terms of having uh so you, you need cash for that too right sure so you need to have enough funds up front to buy inventory of and course. also to uh, rent or build. Yes, yes. So uh, in, in that regards, um, you know, what we did with Carzati early on before we got acquired uh, was all the inventory was, was debt financed, right? Because it's asset backed, right? I mean, cars are very liquid, you know the price of the car. So we could go out to lenders and raise capital for the inventory. And Kavak is doing a similar thing. Even if you're a startup, you were able to? We were able to. Um, not venture debt, like pure It was debt. not venture debt. No, uh, this is not commercial bank debt. Yeah. It was more uh, sort of structured venture debt in that, in that regards. Uh, it's not commercial, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was structured differently. Uh, so definitely. Um, now with Kavak, of course, at the scale they're at, um, you know, we, we can raise debt. So we've raised, we announced a few months ago, uh, we've raised about $800 million in debt. And these are from large banks, you know, like um, I think it was HSBC and Bank Santander and a few others uh, that have put in a lot of money behind this. And again, it's because it is considered asset-backed, right? So anything happens, you have a car. You can liquidate it. There is a price, right? And there's mm. there's a floor to how low that, that car can go in terms of price. Yeah. I really want to ask about the Mexico kind of UAE point and this guy reaching yeah. out because it's fascinating of which markets to expand to but just I'm conscious of the listener and just understanding this process so can you just walk us through the customer journey um, and the services you provide uh, how does it work yeah I'd love to so um, for the customer right I mean so we do two things for a customer right we, we buy cars from them and we sell cars to them right so there's both parts parts of the transaction um, on, on on the part where we are buying cars from the customer um, it's an online process primarily. You go on, you put in all the details of your car. Now, very different from some of the other sites that are available in, in the region, in the country, the price that we show on the site is an actual price, right? Because as a retailer, because we're buying the cars directly, we can give a price that we are committed to. Where some of the other sites are back-to-back are -back auctions, where the price is dependent on what the final you know, trader is willing to pay. And that changes the experience slightly. So for us, when you put that in, we give a, a firm price 
minus any deductions necessary for repairing the vehicles if the quality is not up to standards. We would send the inspector to your house or you can come into our hub and then we close the deal on the same day and transfer cash. Right? Okay. So that's if we are buying a car from you. If we're selling a car to you, uh, so you would come on the site, you know, we have about 400 plus cars in inventory at the moment. Um, anything from, you know, Porsches to Corollas, right? Very wide range of cars. Um, so you could browse through all the details on the website. So we're, we're giving the customers to uh, sort of the tools to start their journey online mm. and do as much research as they need to and as they're comfortable with online, mm. right? Um, our call center is available for our salespeople to speak to you along the way. And then, of course, eventually, almost every customer comes in uh, to the Kevac hub. Uh, now, this is in um, Festival Plaza, so it's the new IKEA in Jabal Ali near Ibn Battuta Mall. Um, very large facility, and if you come into the showroom, it's very digital. So we take the customer through a few different um, videos and experiences explaining the value proposition that we offer. Right? It's a very different experience from what you would go and see in a typical trader, um, used car trader experience not pushy salesmen, very honest, very transparent. They're not incentivized to push a specific car on you and so on. So you'll feel that, that experience. Okay. Um, now, when you come beyond that, we will finance the car for you. We'll get it insured, get everything done, and then you come and pick up the car from us. I think the big thing, though, that we add to this is post-purchase. We back the warranties ourselves. So every car comes free with a three-month warranty, extendable for another two years, right? So anything happens, they come back to us, and we're there to help them. That's great. What about financing? So we do the financing through all partner institutions here in the UAE. Um, you know, okay. the banks here are very competitive, so we partner with them. Okay, fascinating. Um, okay, I understand this. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the industry and, and competitors, but just that point. So what was Kabak? Because it kind of sounds, and how you pronounce it is better than me, but it sounds like it's from the region that's Arabic a little bit. Uh, what I saw is it's like Kahwa or something like that. You know, it's not like, yeah. it doesn't sound Mexican. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what is it? And then there's a Ka, like car, there's a brand Ka. Yeah. There's a car brand called Ka, right? Or Ford Ka, I mean, there's a model, yeah. yeah. So, so uh, Kavak, um, I mean, the, the word is amazing. It kind of, you know, crosses different boundaries and cultures. Um, but it was founded in Mexico. Uh, the founders, uh, are, are Venezuelan, and the word Kavak is actually a mountain uh, in Venezuela. Oh, wow. Um, so that was where the word comes from, but it's, it was sort of a very catchy word, and the founder, Carlos, you know, really uh, loved it. And it's amazing because it's, it's cross boundaries. Um, it started in Mexico, but now it's in 10 countries, right? So it's expanded all across LATAM, Latin America. So you're talking about Mexico, Brazil, Argentina, Chile, Colombia, Peru, and then in Turkey as well and then through us in Oman and in the UAE. Okay, in Turkey, Oman, UAE. So not really North America, not really Europe or other parts of Asia, yes? Mainly Middle East and Latin. It's focused on emerging Media. markets. Emerging markets. Emerging markets That's is the focus for Kavak, yes. Is there a particular reason why there's a bigger opportunity with second-hand cars in emerging markets? You know, it's, I wouldn't say bigger, but I'd say uh, there's a consistent theme, right? Uh, there's a lot more similarities uh, than you think of between you know, Mexico and, and the Middle East or Turkey 
versus Mexico and the U.S., yeah. right? Um, some of the similar issues around, you know, just customer experience. I mean, in Mexico, it's a lot more extreme. You can literally get held up at gunpoint if you're trying to sell your car, right? But there mm. is just a lack of formal, large retail institutions. Whereas if you go to the U.S., you have a very developed market with massive used car traders that are there and yeah. retailers. Um, financing is a huge issue in developing markets and emerging markets, whereas in the U.S. and, and other large uh, developed economies, it's very different. Right? Okay. Uh, so there are many similarities that cross. Interesting. And then also affluency as well, like tending to secondhand as well as, as economies grow and as markets emerge. Uh, interesting. So, okay, so that helps kind of understand why this region, but it's still a little unusual, right? Like if, if we hear of a big company in the U.S. who raise a lot of money, their next port of call is in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. It's probably other uh, continents first. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so it's nice to see. It's nice to see yeah. that someone would pick here. Yeah. But, you know, was it a strategy of, of Carlos to pick the Middle East or was it like on uh, Crunchbase or whatever, seeing who has raised money in my no. category, let me jump in? No, no, it's, it's actually, um, it, it's more of understanding and appreciating how phenomenally attractive the GCC used car market is, okay. right? On a global level, right? So if you were to basically take the map of the world and say which are the most attractive, economic, economically attractive regions and markets for used cars, the GCC is, is up there as one of the best, mm. right? Um, so it wasn't, you know, it, like <clears throat> there's a lot of real value here. And, and the reason, let me walk through a few of these. One is the market size. So you're talking about GCC, it's about $40, billion market size, right? Uh, but the second one, um, the second one's probably even more interesting and important, is the average price of cars over here, right? Uh, so in the UAE, for example, the average price is probably in the range of, uh, you know, $18,000, $20,000 in that range. In, in Mexico, it's about $9,000, yeah. right? In, in India, it's probably like $7,000, right? So yeah. The average price of the car determines how valuable the market is because your margin comes from them. Mm. That's the second incredibly attractive part of, of the GCC market. And then the third is it's still very early in the used car journey in the GCC, right? I mean, Saudi is just opening up in terms of, you know, women starting to drive. The population is young and it's growing. So the demographics of the GCC are extremely attractive going forward, right? Yeah. So it, it, it's not that, you know, they looked at, they looked at markets, and they saw the GCC, and the GCC is really attractive. And to keep in mind, you know, Kavak was not the only one looking at this market, right? You yeah. had a lot of players looking at the GCC for used cars specifically because of how attractive the market is. Yeah, interesting. And there's a lot of import-export cars come through here from Asia to Europe to Africa as mm -hmm. well. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of traffic, <laughs> pun intended. But yeah, yeah so um, just interesting about, do you disclose what the trans, uh, what the uh, acquisition cost was? Unfortunately not, no. And then uh, fair, uh, but uh, you can if you'd like. <laughs> but no, but then, you know, you're a founder, you and your co-founder, your co-CEO. How is that integration process? You, you're in the weeds, you're in Oman, you're in Dubai, mm -hmm. you're building this vision, you've got a brand, and suddenly uh, you're now part of a different culture, a different vehicle, yeah. <laughs> no, but a different uh, enterprise. And, uh, and you know, is there a vesting period or 
you know, does that even matter? Are you fully on board? Sure. I know what you're going to say, but like, yeah. let's, let's chat. <laughs> yeah. No, look, I think, so prior to the acquisition, I think let, let's start there. Uh, so Kavak was not the only company that approached us, right? And like I was saying, and a few other companies were looking to come in. Um, so there were two other large strategic investors that wanted to come in um, and acquire us. <clears throat> we chose Kavak not just for the whole, you know, sort of deal terms, but a big part of it was culture, right? Um, again, there are a lot of similarities between Latin America and, and the Middle East. Um, the way we approach things, our, you know, our backgrounds and theirs. So there was, it was, it was really, really easy to, to bring our cultures together, you know, the Karzati culture and the Kavak culture, even though Karzati was tiny, 30, 40 people at the time. Um, but the way we saw not just the business model, but the way we saw the world was very, very similar, right? Uh, so in terms of culture, it was very easy uh, to bring us together, whereas, you know, other companies may not have been uh, so easy to connect with. Um, so from that regards, it, it, was, it was great. Um, one, you know, sort of interesting side story um, you know, this entire deal that we did was done virtually online, mm. right? Because at the time, so still in the middle of the pandemic, you know, we were doing a lot of this um, when lockdowns were in place and you couldn't travel, not in Dubai, but in other countries, you could not travel. Um, so we had to try and get to know them as much as possible um, virtually. I mean, we signed the deal on a DocuSign over Zoom, right? Love it, yeah. Uh, you know, so it, it's a very interesting, you know, you know uh, sort of way that, that everything worked. Uh, now, in terms of the deal itself, um, of course, there are a lot of clauses around, you know, sort of uh, uh, lock-ins, investing, and so on and so forth, right? Um, but the way it has worked so far, it's been, it's been great for us as founders, um, you know, because we still have autonomy, uh, but then you have support and you have a global company that is providing you with expertise and knowledge that you may not have here, right? But do you have the same incentive now? I know that, you know, because what drove you before is building something. And are you, is that same drive there? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. You're hitting on some of the, the very kind of... Um, should you should you make the decision and the things that you went through the decision yeah. process? Look, I mean, for me, um, it's really exciting because as a founder, I've gone from startup to now scale up. Okay, right, um, and it's the first experience I've ever done of this, right? Because it's very unique. You know, we went from if you just look at over the last twelve months. Um, we went from a team of about 30 people to a team of 120 people. We went from 80 cars to over 400, right? Uh, so you're, you're, you're changing your mindset as a founder to become uh, not, you know, a CEO of a large sort of, you know, sort of structured bureaucracy, but how do you scale up fast, right? Uh, you know, some interesting things, like our management team is 10 people from nine countries, Right, so you're you're bringing in a lot of different challenges to that. So for me, um, you know, it, it's it's exciting, uh, and that's what drives me now, which is primarily doing something new, but still very exciting. Right, it's not startup mode zero to one, but it's about scale up mode one to a hundred. Right, how do you get that? How do you grow into different markets? How do you build the hub that we did? You know, state of the art facility. Uh, we're building. We've built a reconditioning center in El Oz. It's you know, 150,000 square feet. Right? What's a reconditioning center? A garage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's 150,000 square feet where we bring in the cars. We do the quality checks. We do the the work on the cars and so on. 
interesting and the servicing the mechanics Correct. and whatever um, yeah and I think you know with startups as well particularly like we often hear the example of you know it needs to be localized there are nuances especially in the countries in this mm -hmm. region mm -hmm. that to, ha to have that autonomy mm -hmm. not just language but to have that autonomy is really important so you know you and you have the experience of you know uh, working on these features and market entry and things like that. Absolutely, and, and that was you know part of the um, the rationale with ac acquisition, right? That's why Kavak would acquire, you know, they acquired a company in Turkey, they acquired a company in Argentina, and they acquired us in the GCC, because you bring with that the local flavors, right? Um, and and you, you you get that entrepreneur who owns the region, uh, and and sort of you know pushing forward versus someone who's just sort of implementing foreign. Um, best practices that may not apply. Hmm. Right? Yeah, I think one of the other things on this is we have seen sort of examples in other sectors of acquisitions rather than uh, companies growing from here globally or listing in local markets as mm -hmm. much. Um, did that cross your minds about the industry or were you kind of more focused on what's the best decision for, yeah. for your business? You know, it, it was such a challenging um, time for us. Uh, so when Hassan and I were going through that one month, you know, of basically negotiations with Kavak, it was always this back and forth, which is, do we sell? Do we continue and grow? Right? Um, are we selling too early? Because um, keep in mind, sort of from first funding to exit was three years for us, which is not much for for a startup. You could look at it positively, or you know, cynics may say, well, they exited too early. Like they could have probably built it bigger. Um, I think net net the way we looked at it uh, was, you know, the overall transaction value and devalue was was you know too good to pass, mm. right? Um, so it, it made sense for us to do it, uh, but there was a lot of back and forth, which is you know do we just keep on growing or do we just um, exit? And um, there there was a really well written article um, that Wamda put together about a month ago. Uh, and, and it was titled The Realistic Exit, uh, where they interviewed us. Um, and that was our focus, right? Like from the day we founded Carzati, you know, very different from a lot of times what you hear in the media, we were not looking for the unicorn, mm -hmm. right? We didn't, you know, sort of want to go down that path. And to, there is a choice involved in that, mm -hmm. right? There's a choice involved in how fast you grow the business, who you raise funds from, the types of investors and, and how much you raise. That dictates, are you going for a multi-billion dollar potential exit? Or are you going for an exit that is, you know, in the 100 to 200 range where it's more realistic, but it changes how you run and operate the business, right? Yeah. So from the start, both Hassan and myself went down that path. We're like, we're not trying to go to unicorn valuation. We're trying to go for a realistic exit that we think is, is much more doable for the region, for the industry we're in, and also for the founders, right? Um, it sets very different expectations and very different risk profiles when a founder is, is gunning for the unicorn valuation. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to go too fast that a lot of times you break along the way. Interesting. And was there discussion on brands and how was the integration process did you reskin your app? Did you like what were the sort of uh, technical things that happened post acquisition? That's a great question. So um, we, we there's there's huge amount of value 
in um, in adopting the global brand, right? I mean, simple examples, you know, like Formula One, uh, Checo Perez, if you're familiar with him, you know, he's a Kavak-sponsored uh, athlete. Um, so he's very popular at the Abu Dhabi F1. There was a lot of Mexicans down there. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah. Because I got to meet him in, uh, you know, right after the race um, and, and chat with him about this. So Kavak, you know, sponsors him. Kavak sponsors the Mexico, you know, national football team. And they sponsored Argentinian and Brazil as well for the World Cup. So there's a lot wow. of value in utilizing the global Kavak brand, mm. right? So that was an easy decision. Uh, on the technical side of things, um, yeah, you, we had to sort of, you know, reskin and, and, and change things and also adopt the Kavak tech stack yeah. to a large degree, right? Uh, and that those are type, some of the integration processes that happen over time. Yeah, and then to localize that again, you would have learnings from Karzati to... Yeah. Of course. Of course, I mean, from the simple things of just, you know, Arabizing it, right, yeah. uh, to even just the, the way the, the, the process works in terms of financing and so on and so forth. Okay, cool. So let's switch tact a little bit. So, you know, people obviously, two things that people are very familiar with in, in Dubai and UAE is real estate and automotive. Mm -hmm. People see fancy cars everywhere. We, we know what's on Sheikh's Side Road, but also we know of, you know, buying and selling cars on whether it's Dubizel and things like that. How would you describe uh, the sort of landscape for the digital side of automotive in, in Dubai and UAE? Yeah. So it's a great question. And I want to separate out digital versus um, the model, right? Because while we are, yes, we're digital and we're physical, the model is very different from others. And, and, and let me clarify, um, really, um, you know, to think about buckets of models, um, Dubizel is a classified site, right? Um, so by and large, most other cars are, you know, um, listed by other people or by traders and so on where they don't own the inventory. <clears throat> then you have other sites that are auction platforms, right? Uh, you know, the likes of Sell Any Car where they're sourcing your car and passing it to a trader. And then you have the retailers, which we fit in that bucket of retailers. Um, you know, um, the other examples would be the likes of Fauteuil Motomal we mentioned earlier. It uh, would be the likes of Cars 24. Um, so we are retailers. Um, and the big difference is in terms of uh, owning the inventory, right? Uh, and, and the reason we own the inventory is so we can control quality of the cars and we can control the experience of the customer, right? We utilize classified sites. Right? We utilize auction platforms, right? So we buy cars from the different auction platforms if we find some that are up to our quality standards. And we list our cars on the various different classified sites from Doobie Cars to Dubizel to Yellow Motor and so on. <clears throat> but um, the big difference is in, in the business model itself, right? Um, we own all of our inventory um, and, and we like that business model, right? It's very different. It's operationally heavy. It's capital intensive. Uh, but there's more money to be made in that space because of owning the inventory. Okay, interesting. So that's where you position yourself. Is Are all of those three areas, are they all really competitive? And what about the sort of incumbent? What about the, uh, the, the dealers, some of the dealerships here uh, who have exclusive for a brand? They also have secondhand as well. Sure. So where do they fit? Sure. So if you look at the, the agency, so these dealers that own you know, any brand, um, there's a big difference. We, we, you know, we are multi-brand used car retailers, uh, and multi-brand used car retailers um, stand out in, in two main reasons. So one is, if you were to go to the agency of any brand that you name, the number of used cars they're going to have is very limited, right? So um, they're only going to have their own brands, right? So Mercedes would only have mostly Mercedes in their used cars and so on. 
Um, for a customer, they may not know necessarily what they want or they want to look at a variety in selection. So selection ends up being a big part of it. Um, being a multi-brand used car retailer, we have that selection. You know, today, 400 plus cars, right? So by number of cars, we're probably third in the market today. As a multi-brand retailer, we're still just getting started in terms of growth. Um, and then the second thing is price point. Typically, uh, you know, I don't want to make it a blanket statement, but typically agencies, their certified pre-owned vehicles are more expensive than we would price our cars at. Right, so we are more competitive on that competitive front. in that front. Okay, interesting. Thanks for explaining it in those yeah. three ver three uh, verticals. It makes sense. Uh, three categories. Uh, so, Marwan, what about the trends in automotive? Obviously, you know we hear a lot about electric vehicles and and things like that. Um, how does that play into your business? Yeah. So we buy and sell used cars, whether they're hybrid, whether they're gasoline, whether they're electric, right? I mean, today we probably have on the order of 15 Teslas in stock, right? Uh, so we do trade, buy and sell. That's uh, interesting. So if cars. someone wanted to buy a secondhand Tesla in Dubai this weekend, yeah. they could go onto the Kavak app go on and the check it out. And check them out. We have Model 3s, Ys, Xs. Okay, so brilliant. they're all on, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, so, you, so you, you know, do you follow trends or does it really matter to you? We follow the data, right? Mm -hmm. uh, again, because we're such a tech-driven, data-driven company, if we find that there's um, there's demand for electric cars, we will buy them, and then we will we will sell them. So whatever is is popular in the market, wherever there's sort of supply and demand, we will trade and we will own those cars. And outside of Cavap and your sort of you know the product and services that you offer, what's your view on sort of this region and automotive? We we see big investments in Saudi. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, with Lucid and with uh, electric vehicle factories and things like that. Like, do you, do you think the automotive industry is going to go through an inter interesting commercial period over the next decade yeah. or so? So I think you know when we hit COVID, clearly there were there were massive issues in, in in cars, right? The supply chain for new cars got hit, and used cars picked up a lot. And and a lot of people would say, well, that was just a temporary blip. Uh, and used cars is going to come back down again, right? For us, when we look at the GCC, there's just so many positive forces that are going to keep on pushing used cars up. Um, you know, you look at, like we talked about earlier, the Saudi demographics. Mm. It's a very young population. As they, you know, get old enough to drive, the most economical choice is always going to be a used car, right? If you're buying a used car that's two to three years old, you're looking at saving probably 30, 40% of the car value, right? Uh, so if, you, if you're in an economically um, constrained world, you know, used cars are always the best. But not just that. If you look at any developed market, used cars to new cars is three to one. Three used cars sold for every one new car. That's the way sort of it typically plateaus. In the GCC, it was the inverse. In the GCC, for the longest time, we've had two new cars for every one used car, mm. right? So a complete you know, shift in, 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 in sort of the new to use. Now, COVID hit, a lot of big macro factors came in, right? Uh, people are trying to save money. They no longer ride hailing as much during the COVID times and so on. Um, so that had a big positive impact on used cars. But we see going forward, it's going to continue to grow, continue to be extremely strong. Primarily Saudi and the UAE, the two biggest markets for used cars, it's going to continue to grow. And you mentioned earlier, uh, Oman, UAE, are you operational in Saudi? We are uh, not yet running in Saudi. We have plans to enter Saudi. Um, this, this year? Uh, it, it might be this year. We'll see where things go. And what are the other plans for this year? So it's focused on the UAE, right? We, we, we still think there's a huge amount of opportunity in the UAE. Uh, we're about 400 cars. We're going to scale that up. Um, you know, we think that there's room for a lot more. Will you have uh, physical 
places in other Emirates? We might, um, maybe in Abu Dhabi, uh, a smaller physical presence. Um, but for now in Dubai, we're sticking to that one hub. Uh, it's a massive facility. I mean, net-net, you're looking at sort of 17,000 square meters, 170,000 square feet. Uh, so it's a very large facility. We've invested quite a lot of money into that one facility. Uh, and it's very conveniently located for anyone in Dubai. Mm -hmm. You know, at most, it's maybe 30 minutes from any place in Dubai. Interesting. And what, you know, what's your personal outlook outlook of the region? We always ask, um, you know, if this is an emerging market, uh, some markets who are emerging markets emerge, some don't. Do you think that this one will? You know, it's interesting, especially when you look at um, which segment or which uh, industry within uh, within the country. You know, when you look at used cars and all the dynamics of used cars here, um, it's, it's like I talked about earlier. There are a lot of similarities with the emerging markets that Kavak is used to. But some of the others are, are phenomenal uh, sort of um, metrics and economics here, right? Like the price point, for example. The price point here is well above any emerging market. Um, so that's very, very different. And it's one of the most attractive in the world for the price point here. Um, I think Dubai is uh, Dubai specifically is a city, the UAE more broadly is a country. Uh, and also, it's, it's quite different from the rest of the GCC, right? I mean, each GCC country has its own dynamics. But when you look at the UAE, a lot of factors are, you know, way beyond typical emerging markets, right? Um, you know, the, the amount of wealth that you have over here, the expectations that you have over here. I mean, that's an interesting sort of side point. But, you know, when we're building our, our Kavak hub here in Dubai, the standards of retail are world class, right? They're not like an emerging market that you would typically expect. When you when you go and look at the retail standards in like Mexico or, or Brazil or Argentina, very, very different, right? The Kavak hub here in Dubai is the best hub that's ever been built, mm. right? Because we are catering to the Dubai quality standards, mm. right? Which are by far the highest. Mm. Um, so there are a lot of things in Dubai that are that are really a league of its own, right? Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so, uh, so you know, do you see yourself being part of this expansion in the region? And you know, would you personally would you see that you could be involved at a global leadership as level as well for Kavak? Yes. So um, we are involved in the global leadership. So you know, Hassan and myself. Uh, as co-CEOs of the region, each region is in the executive team, uh, sort of C-suite in, in, in Kavak. Mm. Um, so we've been involved at that leadership level globally, which is also a nice sort of um, new experience for yes. us as founders to be now part of the C-suite of a multi-billion dollar company. Um, so it gave us also a different edge and angle there. Um, for, for us here in the region, um, you know, the plan is to keep on growing, right? Um, we're really excited about the region. We're excited about um, what to do next, right? So growing this business. You know, we're at 120 people now. Things keep going well. We're, we're, we're going to be tripling in size, right? A tripling in sort of team and people. And, and that's fun, right? I, to me, you know, building a culture is a really interesting new challenge. And that's what lasts over time. And you have to build it at a small scale. Otherwise, the culture just sort of develops on its own. And that's a little bit dangerous. Mm. Um, so we're really excited about this next growth phase, uh, not just in the region, eventually across the entire region, but primarily now in the UAE is our focus. Brilliant. Positive note to finish on. Thank you very much for telling us the story. And thanks, glad to Rich. be able to sit down and listen to it. So thanks a lot. And we'll follow it. Kavak in the future. Thank you so much. Thanks.
So that was pretty inspiring and a really good chat with Marwan after the show as well. And, uh, you know, to hear how they approached uh, their startup and uh, how they looked at the region and the decisions that they made. And then that integration piece with a global company, it's pretty inspiring for their entrepreneurs, uh, you know, to see that they're uh, one of the top uh, valued acquisitions in the region in the tech space so really impressive uh, and I'm sure they go on to even greater things uh, in their current capacity uh, thank you to our producers uh, Ali K and Ali B in the studio and Shahir who put the guests together and everything uh, involved in the distribution what we normally do with this show is we push it out on mainly Angami Spotify and Apple podcasts. Uh, we also write an article on Love in Dubai if you want a bit more details on that. And we push it on our different Smashy social channels, so the Smashy.tv app. If you subscribe, you can watch the full episode, but you can also see the shorter clips, those sort of vertical video TikTok or Reels clips. They're also on the Smashy app, as are all our other ones. And then it'll go across, say, Smashy Business and Smashy Drives verticals as well. Uh, we're back next week with another episode at 11 o'clock on Friday. Uh, please do like, comment, subscribe and share and give us any feedback uh, on the type of guests that you want and the type of uh, and interviews, whether you enjoyed them or not. Uh, thanks a lot and chat to you next week.